Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you guys this weekend, and welcome, everybody, watching online. Thanks for joining us, too, and uh, getting together with your church family. I, I want to um, lay out one thing before I jump in, and that's Discovery Group. If there was one thing that I would ask you to do here at, uh, at Grace Church, it would be to go to and go through Discovery Group. And a lot of us over the course of the last year have uh, become kind of a part of Grace. A lot of us have joined uh, online and been a part of the, our church family uh, through that way as well. And uh, discovery, if you're newer to Grace, is the thing that you want to be a part of that will help you connect, it will help you connect the dots, it'll help you make friends. It's taught by uh, some of our pastors and so you'll get to know some of the pastors and it's just the very best, next best thing for you to do. So we offer Discovery Live and then we offer it virtually as well. And uh, starting next week, we're gonna offer a virtual group. And so uh, if you're watching online right now, if you go onto the website or use the app, uh, you can sign up there. And even if you're live right now, uh, you can do the same thing through your phone. Sometimes it's hard to make it to those in-person meetings because of schedules and kids, and I certainly understand all of that. And so the virtual groups sometimes have been easier for folks to go through and be a part of, but you still get that connection and you still wind up getting to know some folks and encourage you to do that. So sign up for Discovery, that's what you wanna do. And uh, I would really appreciate it if you took the time to do that. And I know that you'll be glad that you did it as well. And uh, that's, a, that's a, a big deal in the spring and as we head into the summer, uh, we finally have a date when the, uh, some of the health orders are gonna lift and so we're excited about that and excited about kind of getting back into some of our natural rhythms of, of life. And so this summer is gonna reflect that. And so if you think of a kind of a normal summer schedule, that's what we're going after uh, this year here at Grace. So think of camps, think of momentum on the road, think of retreats, think of the things that we would often do in the summertime. All of that is set to go uh, this summer. And uh, with the health orders being lifted, we're gonna make the assumption that we're gonna be able to do that kind of fully and normally and grateful and excited to do that. So keep your eyes out for all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and we'll lock into it as we roll in uh, here this year. So exciting stuff. Well, I'm also uh, excited to let you know that we're starting a new series this weekend. And so if uh, this is your first time at Grace or first time in a while, this is a great time to kind of jump on board and, uh, and to get into a new teaching. And we're gonna be talking about uh, this series that we've called uh, God Is. And we're gonna be talking about kind of how we, how we complete that sentence or how we fill that blank and how that is such an important part of our lives. So here at Grace, we talk a lot about we want to know the heart and the mind of God. And that's a critical thing for all of us because how we think about God what we believe about God, what we assume about God, really becomes something that really defines all of our life. There's a, a great author, his name's A.W. Tozer. He, he said this, he said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God, and I would really, really agree with that. The, the author of Proverbs said that the heart 
is the wellspring of life. And what we've often said here is that life is built from the heart or the soul up. So where I am spiritually is where I am mentally, where I am emotionally and even defines what I do physically. And so what I believe about God and what I perceive that he is like, how I, how I digest his love for me, or maybe I think that he doesn't, or his call on my life, or maybe I resent that or reject that. My belief about God, what comes to my mind about God is where my life will drift and what I will do with my life. And it will define me, it will define my values and it will define my investments and it will define my truth and it will define my perspective. And all of that comes from my understanding of who God is, right? So we want to understand that and dig at that here for the next couple of weeks. So this weekend, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna introduce uh, this, this whole concept to us. And we're gonna kind of work off of this foundation that I'm gonna lay down this weekend. I'm gonna put it into a paradigm for us and then I'm gonna walk us through a passage of scripture that we're really gonna hang out in for several weeks. And I'm gonna give you the historical context of that passage of scripture. So those of you who are Bible nerds, you're gonna love it this weekend. This is Bible nerd heaven. And so we're gonna walk you through all of that and then we're gonna land on what God says about himself, and then we're gonna kind of weigh that against how we fill in that blank, all right? So let me set up this premise first. When we're thinking about God, if there were two things that I could help you understand about God, it's that God loves you and he has your best interest in mind, right? And that belief alone would define how we interact with, with God. And so if I thought about these two things, the two verses that came to my mind, they're kind of familiar, but they really frame up what God is like. The first one are Jesus's words in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Why did God intervene in, with, in humanity? What was he wanting to accomplish? What does God want from you? Why did he send his only son Jesus to earth? What was he doing? Was he doing that to create a religion? Was he doing that to put rules and regulations on us? Was he doing that to make us feel shame and condemnation for our past? And Jesus would say, no, not at all. I came to give you life. I came to give you salvation and life to the fullest. I came to bless your life and to fulfill you in life. And when Jesus said that, he's not talking about the TV nonsense of, you know, believe it and your hair will grow back and you'll get a Corvette and get rich. He's not talking about that at all. He's talking about the spiritual blessings of life, that the things you long for in your soul, the things that make us complete as human beings, Jesus wants to give us that and that is available to us through the salvation that he died to give us on the cross. So God didn't come to get you, he would have got you, right? Remember your freshman year of college? He would have got you. Or maybe the fact that you don't remember your freshman year of college, like God would have got you, right? So God didn't come to, to get you, he came to save you. He came to rescue. That's the motivation behind why he shows up in, in our lives. Now, how does that play out? How does that play out? 
Well, Jesus, again, he's talking to a church here in Revelation chapter three, and he shows us kind of how he does this. And this is what he says in Revelation chapter three, verse 20. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. He's talking to a a church, the church of Laodicea in, in Revelation, and he's talking about, hey, guys, I'm at the door and I'm knocking. And if you open that door in that context, what Jesus is saying is I'll bless your church. Well, he would in essence say that to us personally. I'm at the door of your heart. I'm knocking at that door. If you open that door, I'll come in and I'll bring life and I'll bring it to the fullest into your life. Now, what does this tell us about Jesus? He's standing at the door and knocking. What is he not doing? He's not kicking the door in. He's not a spiritual SWAT team. He's not burning the door down. He's not blowing the hinges on it. He's not huffing and puffing and knocking the house down. He could if he wanted to, but that's not the way he plays. He's at the door knocking. He's asking permission. He's in essence saying, I want to give you life and give it to the fullest. Do you want it? And if you want it, I'm here. I'm making myself known to you. If you want it, then you open the door and let me in and I will give that to you. If you don't want that, leave the door shut. Bar it, lock it, walk away, pretend you're not home. You can do any of that. And I won't strike you with lightning. I probably won't transfer you to Michigan. Like something horrible won't happen in your life, right? But, but I'm going to ask, that's the way that I work, because I came to love you and I came to give you life. And if that's what you want, I would love to offer it to you. If you don't want that, then you can walk away from it, okay? So it's in that paradigm that we're gonna talk about who God is. And we're gonna, because we're gonna learn some things about God and we're gonna like raise our eyebrows a little bit and be like, hmm, what does that mean, right? How can this loving God be like that too? But this is all in the context of God loves us and is pursuing us for relationship and he wants to interact with us, right? So who is God? God is, you fill in the blank. Now, what we're gonna do throughout this series is we're gonna hang out in this passage. It's Exodus 34, verses five through seven. So if you got a Bible, open it up there. If you want a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. It's page 72 in those Bibles. If you want a physical copy of the Bible and you don't have one, just keep that one. Write your name in it and uh, let it be our gift to you. And then this is all on the app too, okay? So in Exodus chapter 34, uh, we're gonna look here. Exodus chapter 34 is a very important passage in the Bible. Uh, This passage is the passage that is most quoted by the Bible itself. So there's over 30 times in the Bible where the Bible, the authors of the Bible will either reference or quote or, uh, or talk about uh, Exodus chapter 34. It's, it is woven throughout the whole fabric of the Bible. Uh, Pastor Tony was uh, teaching this series at Medina. That's where I got the idea from. And he said this when he was teaching it. He said, the biblical authors circle back to this passage again and again. They quote it, allude to it, pray it, even complain about it, but mostly they believed it. 
So this passage that we're gonna hang out with in a few, for a few weeks is kind of like the golden thread throughout the scripture. And the reason why this passage is so important and why it's requoted and referred to and woven all throughout the scripture is because Exodus chapter 34 is the place where God most clearly defines himself. So he gives his definition of who he is here in Exodus chapter 34. And this is what he says. He says, the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him. This is by Moses. We'll put the context in this in a minute. So stood with Moses and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. And then he defined himself this way. As he passed in front of Moses, he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. And that passage is brought up 30 different times throughout the Bible. It's talked about, it's alluded to, it's complained about, but it's believed. The writers of the Bible, the authors, God would say, that is who I am. And if you wanna know me and you wanna interact with me, that is me. And I am defining myself, okay? Now, I wanna give you a little bit of a history lesson here this weekend. Because that passage, if, if we just looked at that all by itself and didn't understand kind of how it showed up in the chronicles of human history, it would not make a lot of sense, right? So I wanna show you what led to God saying that definition of himself. And as we walk that through, I think you'll get a better view of who God is, and maybe even how he wants to interact with you a little bit, okay? So when you look at the Bible, the first five books of the Bible are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And those are the kind of the oldest books of the Bible as far as people following them. And when you look at uh, Jewish history and church history, and you look a lot of the origins of mankind and our relationship with God, we're gonna define those things out of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, all right? And so when you look at this passage in Exodus chapter 34, you would wanna go back kind of chronologically and understand why God said what he said. So when you look at the Bible and you look at the book of Genesis, Genesis has two main themes in it. Genesis chapter one and two, God creates. So he creates the heavens and the earth and then he creates humanity. And when he created humanity, he created us uniquely. We're different than the rest of creation because the Bible says when God created humanity, he created us in his image. So what that means is, is that human beings have something that the rest of nature doesn't have, and that is a soul. So we have a soul, we have the ability to connect with God. The tree doesn't have a soul, and it doesn't care that it's being turned into a two by four. Uh, dogs, your dog loves you, but it doesn't have a soul, it's just a dog, right? Your cat is from the devil, it's soulless, it's different, right? So, but we have a soul, so as a human being, the reason that we would know that we have a soul is because human beings must 
satisfy the question of God. Even if you're an atheist, you have talked yourself into that so that you can come to a place that you don't have to deal with God. The dog doesn't do that. The dog has no concept of God. The eagle has no concept of God. Only human beings. Only human beings worship. Only human beings pray. Only human beings question God's love for us or affirm God's love for us. Only human beings think about life after death. We're the only part of creation that does that. And that comes out of Genesis where we're created in God's image. Now, why would God create us with a soul? God creates us with a soul because he wants to give us life and give it to us in the fullest. God created us to interact with us. He loves us, he enjoys us, he wants to bless us, he wants to meet the needs of the soul and he wants us to have a relationship with him and we were created and able to, to be able to do that. Genesis chapter one and two, that happens. Genesis chapter three then, humanity rebels. So God creates Adam and Eve. They're in perfect relationship with him. He hangs out with them every day. He meets all of their physical needs. He puts them in the garden. He meets all their emotional needs. Everything about their life is perfect. And they have within them the ability to choose to reject God. And they are tempted and they do that. They reject God. And in Genesis chapter three, human beings rebel. So God creates us to be with us. We choose to reject God and that starts the human narrative. And that starts how the Bible plays out, which is an overview, so to say, of the human narrative. So in Genesis chapter one and two, that happens. God then keeps pursuing humanity. He keeps trying to love us, he keeps trying to help us. He pursues Abraham, he pursues Isaac. He pursues Jacob. He does all that stuff all the way through Genesis. God's people then start to rebel against him. So God makes this promise with this guy named Abraham. He says, I wanna build a people out of you. We would call those people the Jewish people, right? Uh, the Bible will often call them Israel. When we think of Israel, we think of the country. So what the Bible would often call Israel, we would think of the Jewish people or the Jewish religion. And God was their God and they were his chosen people and he did that so he could love them and they could interact with him. And there were times that that went really, really well and then there were times that that went really, really horrible and when you start the book of Exodus, it's not going well at all. The people have rebelled they have rejected God, they've picked up all these false gods and that has led to them being enslaved in Egypt. As they're enslaved in Egypt, they cry out to God, hey God, aren't we your people? God's like, yeah, but you walked away from me. I tried to love you, but you rejected me. And they're like, can you get us out of this? And so they cried out for forgiveness of their sin. They asked for a deliverer. God raises up a deliverer. His name is Moses, right? And so Moses goes to Pharaoh. And Moses is like, bruh, let my people go. He didn't say it quite like that, but maybe that's how he'd say it today. And so he's like, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, I'm not doing that because I got a slave labor force. And, Pharaoh, and Moses is like, oh, now you did it. You messed with God. And so God supernaturally starts to break Pharaoh's will. 
And these plagues come in. Maybe you're familiar with this. There's frogs, there's locusts, there's boils, there's all these kind of things. The Pharaoh won't let the people go. And so finally God says, okay, I want my people to prepare for my angel to pass over them. And I want you to have this meal and I want you to do these things to your doorframe. And when my angel passes over and they see that you're prepared, you're my people, they will, it will pass over you. And every household that doesn't have that, I'm gonna strike down the firstborn son, including Pharaoh's son. And God does that. And Pharaoh finally relents and he lets the people go. And Moses and the people leave Egypt. They cross through the Dead Sea or uh, the Red Sea on dry land. Pharaoh changes his mind again, goes after them with the world's greatest army, the superpower of the day. They get in the middle of the Red Sea, God releases the water, wipes them out, and the people are free. They get now out into the wilderness because God's taken them to this place called the promised land. They've been free. First time they've been free in hundreds and hundreds of years. And they're free and God answered their prayers. God worked with them in supernatural ways. He did these incredible things in their life. And what the people do is they start to grumble. And they're like, hey, you brought us out here in the desert. And what are we supposed to do now? We're hungry. So God made a supernatural way to feed them. It was called manna. And then the CrossFitters in the group were like, we need protein also. And so God <laughs> sent quail. So they had meat as well. And they made food, water, meat, variety. God blessed them. But he presented himself as a pillar of cloud, a cloud by day to shade them and a pillar of fire by night to lead them and warm them. He met all of their needs. He provided for them. They travel for a while. They wind up at this place called Mount Sinai. Their leader, Moses, God calls him up and he says, hey, I want to talk to you. I created these guys to love them. I made a promise to Abraham that I would make a nation out of him that would be mine, uniquely mine, so I could love them. They keep rebelling and complaining against me but I still love them. And I would like to be their God and I would like them to be my people. Will you gather the people so I can ask them because what I do is I knock. I don't kick the door in. And they can choose whether they want to open that door or not. And so God goes to the people and he says, do you wanna be my people? I wanna love you, I wanna bless you, I created you with a soul, I wanna interact with you, I chose you, I made these promises, I just set you free, all so that we could interact with each other. What do you guys think? Let's define the relationship. And the people heard this through Moses from God, and they looked at God and they said this, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. We want to be the people of God. And God is thrilled because he created us for that very reason. The people are thrilled because they're gonna be blessed by God 
God looks at Moses and says, hey, why don't you and your assistant Joshua come up here and let's work this out. I'm gonna write this down for you guys so that the people know what to do. I'm gonna create this thing called a tabernacle. I'll be in that tabernacle. They can show up and hang out with me. I'm gonna write down how you guys can have your sins forgiven and that way there's no sin separating the two of us. I'm, in fact, I'm gonna put this stuff in stone. I'm gonna write down these 10 commandments. This is a condensed version of all the other things so, so that you can quick reference it if you want to. And I'm so excited that you want to be my people because I want to be your God. So Moses and Joshua go to the mountain. The people stay waiting for them. And the Bible says that they began to do what human beings often do. They forgot about God. They forgot about his promises and they once again rebelled against him. And in Exodus chapter 32, you have this scene play out. Verse one, when the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and they said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Now he'd only been gone for 40 days. But we forgot all about that. So can you make us something different? Aaron, who was the chief priest and even Moses' brother, said, yeah, bring me your earrings, bring me your gold. The people did it. He took what they handed him. He made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf and fashioned it with a tool. And then he said to them, ready? He said, these are your gods, Israel, Jewish nation, who brought you out of Egypt. And then he threw a festival. The people worshiped the golden calf and they started calling that their God. Now this is what they did, I want you to catch this. God created us for a relationship, we rebelled. God pursued us and made us a promise through Abraham and we rebelled. We put ourselves in slavery, but cried out for a deliverer, and God was compassionate and gracious. Supernaturally interact, got us out of here, and then we weren't satisfied. We want manna, we want protein, we want water. God came down, I'm trying to love you guys, I wanna love you, are you with me? Yeah, 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 we will do everything that you say. 40 days later, there's a cow. And what Aaron did, this is important, ready? Aaron did not create a new God. What Aaron did was Aaron decided who their God was going to be. He created God in the image that they wanted him to do. This golden calf, when he says, These are your, this is the God that brought you. You know that God, that locust, that boils, all that stuff? The God who did that, that whole Red Sea thing, the God who did that, Yahweh, your God, he's a cow. And that cow was associated with the God El. You would spell that E-L. It was a pagan God in Canaan. And El was a God of prosperity. So it, it, El did whatever you wanted him to do. 
You want manna? You got manna. You want quail? You got quail. You want your hair to grow back? You get your hair to grow. Just have enough faith. You want a million dollars? Just sow the seed of a thousand dollars. You just got to do whatever you want me to do. I'm the God of blessing. I'm the God of prosperity. That is who I am. And what Aaron did was he said, you know that God did all these great things? He looks like this. He looks exactly the way that you want him to look. He functions exactly the way that you want him to function. And when he said, I want to be your God, and you said yes, what you said yes to was this cow, a God of your own imagination that you have created in the image that you want him to be in. There's a great book out called God Has a Name by John Mark Homer, and he says this, he says, Here, here's how you know if you've created God in your own image. He agrees with you on everything. He hates all the people you hate. He votes for the person you voted for. If you're a Republican, then God's a, vote, a Republican. If you're a Democrat, then God's a Democrat. If you're passionate about blank, then God's passionate about blank. If you're open and elastic about sexuality, then so is God. And above all, he's tame, he never gets mad at, uh, uh, you never get mad at him or blown away by him or scared of him because he's controllable and of course, he's a figment of your imagination. The people look and say, yeah, we want to be blessed by God. We want God on our team. We're, we're, we're going to pray before the football game for sure because we want to defeat our enemy, the Panthers. We, we want God to, whatever we care about, we want God to care about. So we'll just create him. And when he asked if we would follow him and obey him, our answer was kind of like, sort of. We'll create and follow and obey the parts that work for us. And in their case, in this context, in Exodus chapter 32, that God looked like a cow. Moses comes down off the mountain. God's kind of with him. They see the people worshiping the golden calf. And God looks and he's like, what? What in the world? And God is offended he is righteously angry. He's kind of hurt. He's like, he looks at him. He's talking to Moses then. And he in essence says, what do, what do I have to do? Because I created them to love them. I created them to give them life and give it to the fullest. And they had it and they ate from the tree. And then I was gracious about that, and, but they just ran away from me for hundreds of years. They found themselves enslaved, and when they finally couldn't take it anymore, they cried out to me, and I delivered them. I broke the bonds of their sin. And then they're living in their freedom, and their freedom isn't enough. Now, now they want their freedom and, and everything else we want. I even gave them that. 
They're 2021 North Americans. They're the richest people group in the history of the world. And I knocked on their door. I didn't kick their door in. I didn't take all their stuff away. I didn't transfer them to Michigan. I asked and they said yes. And 40 days later, I'm a cow? He looks at Moses in Exodus chapter 33. He's like, you know what? I, I might start over. I made a promise to Abraham. It's kind of what it got me. What if I just make a promise to you? And we'll just do this with you. And, and Moses, actually, it's a really fascinating conversation. He interacts with God because the Bible says Moses was a friend of God. He's like, he's like God, it, you know, this will be embarrassing. I mean, you bring us out of Egypt and you leave them all here. This is like three million people. You leave them all here. He's like, you, you don't want to do this. You, you don't want to kind of de-glorify your own name. God, you are compassionate and you are gracious and you forgive wickedness. And the Bible says that God kind of listened to Moses and agreed with Moses. He said, okay, Moses, because I trust you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree with you, ready? But I need to explain to them who I am. Because somewhere in their minds, they have decided I'm a cow who only makes their dreams come true, who only does what they want, who they only pay attention to when they want something from me. So gather them. And the people were scared. Gather them up. And the Bible says they did. And as they were gathered up, the Bible says the Lord came down. He walked in front of Moses. He announced himself. And he said this is who I am. I am the Lord, the Lord. I am the King of kings. I am the Lord of lords. I am the God of gods. I'm compassionate and gracious. I've been chasing you guys for hundreds of years. I'm gracious. When you wanted protein, I got your protein. You rebelled against me, forgot about me, you cried out for me, I set you free. I am slow to anger. This is not a temper tantrum. This is not an unpleasable God. This is not a God that you're always on the edge with, you're never quite sure what he's gonna do. This is centuries. I am slow to anger. I'm abounding in love and faithfulness. I've been faithful to you. You have not been faithful to me. 
How many times have you rebelled against me? How many times have you looked at me and said, help me and I helped you? How many times have you looked at me and say, let me change and I've changed you? How many times have you said, set me, set me free? How many times have we overcome that habit, that addiction? How many times have I restored those relationships? How many times have I given you what you do not deserve? How many times have I blessed you so much so that you live in a land where the greatest health epidemic is obesity and the biggest problem is that we all need to become minimalist. I am gracious. I am, I am faithful, abounding in love, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God, I have forgiven you again and again and again. I'm not, I'm not looking to get you. I could have gotten you so many times. I'm eager to forgive. But you need to understand something. We need to be clear. I'm not a cow who just does whatever you want me to do. That is a pagan God that is not the one true God. I will not and cannot leave the guilty unpunished. And I will punish the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. When you rebel against me, it will echo through your family. When you rebel against me, it will echo through your church. When you rebel against me, it will echo through a country, generation upon generation upon generation. And I'm not snapping to that. I'm not throwing my hands up with that. I'm not even making you follow me. I knocked you answered. but I will not be mocked. I'm not your cow. And this is who I am. And this is who I am to you and for you, but I will not be and I cannot be a figment of your imagination. I hope in this series that we accomplish a bunch of stuff. I hope that we see ourselves in this series and, and where we're gonna see ourselves a lot is in the Israelites, right? And it, it, we gotta start there. We are prone to this. I am, you are. I love it when God is who I want him to be and I don't like it when he's not. And so we need to see ourselves in the middle of all of this and be careful that we take our image of God and weigh it against his definition of himself because without knowing it, we might have built a cow. I hope that we'll see God for who he is. He is compassionate and he is gracious 
and he is patient and he is slow to anger and he is uh, abounding in love and faithful and forgiving of the wicked and the rebellious and the sinful. And he is equally just and righteous and holy and jealous. So I hope we will see God for who he is. And I hope that our definitions of God will be challenged. You, you might be humbled in this series. You may have had a low view of God and maybe didn't even know it. And maybe almost forgotten who we're actually interacting with. You, you might be surprised. You might be surprised what God's like and how he works. You might be offended what do you mean you hold my grandchildren responsible for my sin? You might be offended by who God is. And you might be comforted and you might be encouraged and you might be emboldened. But I hope that we allow God to define, right? And then ultimately what I hope is that God's definition of himself becomes our definition of God. And that we are worshiping, that the the God who is asking us, the God who wants to give us life and give it to the fullest, and who is knocking on our door, the God that we invite in, I hope it becomes God. And not a figment of our own imagination that we created for ourselves, right? So we're gonna hang out for a while here, and we're gonna dig deep. And I really believe that life begins from the soul up. And so as God defines himself and God changes us, I think it's gonna have life-changing ramifications for all of us as we engage it, right? All right, band's gonna come out. We're gonna go into a time of worship, just singing about the greatness of God and praising him for who he is and how he interacts with us. Jesus, would you help us Would you, through your word, through your Holy Spirit, take us to this place of making yourself clear? You are God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And we worship you and we believe you and we are empowered by you and comforted by you and given purpose by you and protected by you and we are to fall before you and tremble We are to never forget who you are and what you have done. And the same power that brings comfort and help to our life is the same power that causes us to worship you and to give you praise. So God, over the course of these few weeks, would you clarify our thinking? Would you you push against our assumptions? And would you make yourself clear to us in every way? Begin that work even now, Jesus, in your name. Amen.